can contain traces of irony, sarcasm, satire, parody, mockery, banter, caricature, and nuts. The opinions expressed are almost certainly not shared by self-appointed officious dictatorial wowsers. If you are dangerously irony deficient or allergic to mockery of the self-important and corrupt, then get a life. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the latest episode of the Environmental as Anything podcast, the show where we try to serve you up as much news, analysis, and interviews on the state of all life here on Mother Earth as we can. I'm Sean O'Shaughnessy, and it's a great pleasure to have your company here with me today. Thank you for tuning in. And thanks also, of course, to the Bunjalung Nation on whose land we are listening to this show today here in uh, uh, the north coast of New South Wales. Um, I live, at work and play on, well, quite a bit on the lands of the Widgible Wyable people and uh, who are part of the Bunjalung Nation. And of course, it is uh, with deepest respects to elders past, present and emerging that I say thank you for uh, your tolerance and your patience while we attempt to uh, you know, address some of the awful uh, crises that have been inflicted upon uh, this country of yours by uh, the colonialism and capitalism. And uh, we're doing our best to try to, uh, to reverse and redress some of those issues and, uh, of course, uh, respects to elders past, present and emerging. This is stolen land and has never been ceded. It will always remain the property of uh, the uh, Bunjalung Nation. We have a huge show lined up for you today. Oh, so much to come. I'm really excited later in the show to be talking to John Shipton, who is, of course, uh, the father of and one of the great advocates for Julian Assange. Free Julian Assange, the movement to free Julian Assange is uh, joining, is is gaining momentum around the world. There is uh, a growing chorus of voices for justice for uh, Julian Assange. And of course, John Shipton is one of those leading voices in that movement. Uh, and I'm very glad to have him on the show later on today. Uh, he's promoting, of course, the events which are coming up next week. I think it's uh, uh, the 12th of this month. I think that's the Thursday. There is a film night and uh, some talks happening at the Star Court Theatre. And of course, we'll talk about that with, uh, with John Shipton as well when he's on air. Before that, we'll be going to Western Australia, where the WA police have served the ABC with an order to hand over all footage captured by Four Corners for an investigation set to air this Monday, October the 9th, about the crackdown on peaceful climate protests by the WA government and its terrorist police at Woodside's behest. And it's understood the ABC may be preparing to comply with this order. I'm very happy to have uh, to speak to us on the show, Talia Stolansky, who is a, a campaigner for the Disrupt Burrup Hub movement over there in WA, who are working hard to prevent this climate bomb from going off. She will give us a, the story on the restraint of their freedom of association and speech there in WA and what exactly it is that uh, Woodside are up to there uh, with the WA government. But first up in the show, be very proud to be uh, able to play an, an interview by Michelle Michaels from the Heartlands program on Bay FM, uh, where she speaks to filmmaker Rachel Perkins about the upcoming uh, yes vote for the referendum 
and uh, Rachel's father, Charles Perkins. So that's a great way to lead off the show uh, where we're saying yes for success. Well, of course, this week is the week of the referendum. There's the uh, the, the yes vote. Uh, referendum is on this week. And, uh, of course, you know, uh, vote yes for success. That's that's what I'm saying to everyone. So we'll be uh, we'll be listening to a couple of bits and pieces uh, that I've collected online about uh, the the voice referendum. Um, I've had uh, some some awful. I've had a lot. The reason I was so flustered today was because I came under attack from somebody who was promoting, uh, you know, fascist, racist propaganda and putting it to me that I should listen to this uh, this dribbling garbage from a from some drunk on the streets in Melbourne standing outside a pizza shop and raving moronically about uh, lies the lies that he, he was trotting out about the uh, the voice referendum it is it is disturbing and disruptive and uh, and 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 upsetting saddening that uh, that Australians could be fooled by this pathetic tissue of lies that have been trotted out by the no campaign not every uh, one who is uh, voting no is a racist but if you want to find the racists they're all voting no you can guarantee it so um, it's not the voters who are the, who are really the problem. The voters are confused by some very sophisticated and very very well financed uh, uh, lies that are being trotted about uh, by the No campaign. So I'm uh, I'm not I'm not in a good mood about that today. Uh, there's uh, I'm hopeful that there's an upsurge in support for uh, for doing the right thing and giving a voice to the voiceless. In Australia, and giving giving our, uh, our the 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 uh, sovereign people of this land uh, the, their due, and being and hearing them when they talk to us about their perspective on how we should manage their affairs. Uh, of course, um, there are lots of different. Uh, uh, ways in which that's uh, a, a, an urgency, and there's lots of good reasons why that's an important uh, thing. But we'll be talking. But just just a few of the facts. Just being trying to trot out, get some of the uh, some of the facts. So I'll play some of that for you um, very soon. There's a, a, a great presentation the lady's done just on the uh, the the actual. Uh, proposal for this referendum. There's so much being said, so much dishonest misinformation being spread about the proposal, but the proposal itself is actually very brief. You can, in less than two minutes, get an excellent uh, summary of it. It is not unclear in any way whatsoever, and it poses zero threat to the uh, constitutional stability of Australia, and it poses zero threat to the uh, the, the integrity of the process for uh, treaty and uh, and sovereignty for our first nations people so uh, really uh, there is no no campaign there is uh, there is a, a highly very well funded but very poorly supported uh, a, a campaign for for continuing uh, the genocide which has been practiced against first nations people here in this country so i'm i'm definitely standing against uh, that campaign for genocide and standing up for yes say yes for success that's what I say respect to the Bunjalung nation Bay FM 99.9 Here with Michelle Michaels, and we're on Heartland Slot today. Rachel Perkins is in the studios. Hello, Rachel, how are you? I'm so happy to be here on Bundjalung Country. Thanks for having me. 
You'll come to speak this afternoon at the uh, event with Kerry O'Brien and Delta Cade, community representative for the Rockwell, Bunjalung Nation people here. Travelling around, really to anyone who'll invite me and have me, and just unpacking the voice for people so that they have some of the facts because the referendum is in 29 days. So I'm just trying to share information that I, I've learnt uh, over the last eight years about what it means, um, particularly for Indigenous people, but also for our fellow Australians. So, yeah, just having conversations around the country, which is an amazing thing to do. I've never done this before, really, because I'm a filmmaker, and it, I'm finding it... So great. Having conversations with people I would never talk to normally or never meet. It's been wonderful. You're a very well-known, very well-regarded filmmaker. Can you give us a little bit of his 25 to 30 years? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm uh, getting a seasoned. I don't think I'm get to, I'm definitely not elder status yet. Um, one might say seasoned. So, yeah, I've been making films since I was 18. Um, I'm Arunda, so and Kalkadoon, and German and Irish as well, but... Um, uh, back in Alice Springs in Arunda country, I got a traineeship in 1988 and I've been making films ever since. So um, my recent work is The Australian Wars. It's a documentary series on SBS, but I also did First Australians and lots of drama, Jasper Jones, Brand New Day, Total Control, Mystery Road, Redfern Now, Radiance, Marbo and some other things I've probably forgotten along the way. That's amazing. That is, that's really a great body of work and some of the most popular popular TV too yeah. it's, it's not I'm, I know, you that's know. Right. I mean when when we were you know we were literally growing up making films no one thought that anyone would want to watch our work they would just thought like oh there was a saying, blacks don't rape, mate, you know, and so no one had these expectations for us. We proved them wrong, which was so satisfying. So every time we get a Logie, an award, or like we got most popular television show for the first series of Mystery Road, it smashed through the glass ceiling. But I suppose because we had such low expectations around us, the the win is even more sweet, you know, the success because we proved them wrong. It's just amazing. I've got a little clip here which I'd love to share with the beautiful listeners, which is a bit of a bio. This is from uh, NAIDOC Week, so let's My just have a listen. My name is Perkins and I'm from the Arundur and Kalkadoon Nations. I first began as a filmmaker back in 1988 here in Alice Springs. Um, I got a traineeship. Frida Glynn uh, was running the Central Australian Aboriginal Media Association and I became a trainee in the video unit. It's your, you've got a lot to talk about and you're amazing. Look, uh, just, I don't want to be a big noter. I don't want to be making films. Okay. We are here to talk about the Yes Vote because you've got your Yes T-shirt happening there. We've got some other ladies here with us. Uh, Courtney, we've got uh, beautiful Jess Hitchcock. She's got her guitar. She's going to play live, which we're so excited about. So we're here to talk about this this issue, which is, like I said, very divisive in Byron. I think there's a lot of misinformation. The government's done us raising awareness campaigns, but it doesn't always reach the people that it needs to reach. And that's why we've got people like yourself. We haven't had a referendum since, like, 1999. So, you know, Jess, you haven't lived through a referendum, right? So Yeah, well, I was, like, eight. You were, like, <laughs> I eight, didn't yeah, get so to vote. Voted. That's no. right. And so there's a whole lot of people who've never been involved in a referendum for a start and then who like understands constitutional reform like before I started volunteering on this like I think eight years ago I never read the constitution I didn't really know how it worked I didn't really care less actually and um, it's only been you know through being around people and learning from others that I've gained an understanding but yeah the average person you know they just leave that to the politicians right but this year 
very unusually, we're having a referendum. And these things are like Haley's Comet. So that's why I'm putting all my efforts into um, talking to people about it because it is a rare opportunity for the Australian people to really um, decide what sort of nation they want. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you've been involved in this issue for quite a while. It's not. So how, where did you start? What brought you to oh, it? Well... In a way, I was sort of born into it, right? True. Because my, my family... Um, Tell us about your dad, too. Charlie. Charlie's yeah, my dad's Charlie, so I'm Charlie Perkins. So famous. And your sister, Hetty. But talk, talk a bit about your dad, because he was uh, OAM, Order of Australia. Oh, yeah. No, and all of his history, all that, yeah, huge don't, history. Don't worry too much about the trinkets, but um, <laughs> some people well, call them. Back, back, yeah. But, um, yeah, he was involved, you know, from the 60s, really, in... Um, in social justice and, and rights issues and dedicated his entire life to it. Um, born in a native institution, as it was called in Alice Springs, and, um, yeah, grew up experiencing segregation and everything that comes with that and so always had a fire in his belly, he used to describe it. And he was never happy with the status quo for his people or the country. So he pushed on a you know, pushed, pushed, pushed his whole life. It what were some of up. his what were some of his achievements for um, Aboriginal people, you know, from his social activism? I think self determination, um, broadly speaking, because I mean he led the Freedom Riots in nineteen sixty five, which he was probably that brought him to national prominence. But he was very he was the great believer in self-determination which basically means indigenous people deciding and leading their own destiny and being in charge of their own business and so he was very much a part of that sort of I suppose you call it black power but self-determination movement that was sweeping across Africa and the United States in the 1960s and really then in the 70s really accelerated with indigenous people around the world um, claiming rights um, out of you know the process of colonization whether it be land rights, rights to healthcare, housing, education. Um, so that sort of grassroots, non-government organisations being established, healthcare centres, um, legal services. And for me, as I was a beneficiary of an Aboriginal media service, which is where I got my first traineeship. So he sort of came through and led in many ways the establishment of non-government organisations, Aboriginal organisations across the country, as well as the establishment of Indigenous investment companies that we now see, you know, have a lot of community assets, buying buying um, investment properties for Indigenous communities, um, the land rights movement. Um, he was involved in every sort of legislation, fighting for legislation, land rights legislation in Queensland. Mm-hmm. He was also very involved in the protest movement. So at the same time as being a government bureaucrat, which is, he was a he was an activist. So it got him kicked out of government quite a few times, um, calling like the Premier of Western Australia racist. You know, you're not allowed to do that if you're a bureaucrat. You're not allowed to sort of smash down the gates of Brisbane Parliament if you're a bureaucrat. <laughs> you know, it's unusual behaviour. So he walked this very fine line, but he always knew that he was an Indigenous person first and that's where his allegiance was to his people and so he was a good kicker down of doors. But he worked within the system for change. That was his... He went to universities, one of the first Indigenous people to go to university. He's, he wanted that education so he could use not use the system but change the system from within and he spent his life doing that so you've got quite an amazing political pedigree
has that affected you? I've learnt the power of leadership that you can change the world, but I've also learnt the value of being a good follower. And in fact, I feel like I'm a good follower, you know, because someone needs someone to drive them to get them somewhere. Someone needs someone to type them in it. Someone needs someone to make the endless cups of tea for the meetings. <laughs> and so I spent my life doing that, you know, making the cups of teas, getting the food organised, jumpers and the clothes for the ladies. And, you know, like someone needs to be there doing that. And, and in, in terms of constitutional recognition for our people, I feel like I'm walking in the footsteps of those people because they tried to set up advisory bodies in the 1970s. My dad was involved in the establishment of the first one, uh, which was called um, the Council... Uh, now I'm going to forget the National Council of Aboriginal... The National Aboriginal Consultative Council. And that was set up in 1973 by Gough Whitlam. Lasted five years. New government came in. They killed it. Then they set up a new one. The new government set up another one. Then they killed that. And then we had nothing. And then we had another one. We've had... In my lifetime, we've had five versions of bodies to give advice to government. And that's why this year we're asking for those organisations to be made permanent. Recognised and they can't, be, they can't be abolished they and can't they can't, be abolished. yeah, that's right. They can right. be changed but there must always be one. So anyway, we can get into that. But yes. So I feel like, yeah, I'm just um, part of a river, you know. Of a lot you of are people indeed. Been a lot of history. And we're all trying to get a better outcome for our people and the nation. You've got the history of your father there and all those, those evolving organisations, so you're a person that's seen what's happened over the years and you really have credence to speak on the issue and credibility. What is it going to do for the Aboriginal people on the ground? What do you believe yes, voting for yes will do? I, I wanted to have the opportunity to talk to this community, which is why I'm really honoured to be here at this radio station, to have this space, because I appreciate that, um, you know, there's not a lot of spaces for us to talk about this. But I did want to talk to the progressive, what we call the progressive no. You've had a bit of the, the no and yes case from the more traditional conservative versus progressive. But... We haven't really talked about the progressive no and and knowing that there's a big Indigenous community up here and there's a lot of people who support the Indigenous community, I wouldn't mind unpacking that, just to talk about that. Um, but in terms of what it will do, it's not a silver bullet. We have to be clear about that. But what it does, I think, importantly, it does two things. The first thing it does, and, and this is in the constitutional amendment that everyone can read, it's available. The first thing it does is recognises the profound presence of First People in this cons in this across this continent over deep time. Now, sixty-five thousand years is hugely significant and it is one of the foundation it is the foundation of this country. But that is not recognised, and it should be, and I believe, in the most important legal document in the country, which is the Constitution. It is overdue. There was no recognition when the continent was claimed in 1770. It is overdue to state, on behalf of the nation, for the Australian people and for generations to come, that our presence here is important and a cornerstone of our, our identity. So that's the first part. It's recognition. That's the recognition part. But recognition has been asked for, not just symbolic recognition, because people who are perhaps more conservative just say, oh, we'll just put some words in the Constitution.
exact change to the constitution we're going to be voting on in the upcoming voice referendum. I read the booklet. All right, so it starts with this. In recognition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the first peoples of Australia. So this is about recognition. It's about us acknowledging 65,000 years of continuous connection to Australia in our 120 year old constitution. Then the next bit is this. There shall be a body to be called the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. And the word shall means there has to be a voice, no matter who's in power. So the voice is guaranteed. Can't be used as a political football. All right, so the next bit deals with what the voice can do. The Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice may make representations to the Parliament and the Executive Government of the Commonwealth on matters relating to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. So the voice can say things, right? They can make representations. They can give advice about their issues to government. And that's good, right? Because when we get advice, we make better decisions. And then there's this last bit that the no side don't ever want to talk about. The Parliament shall, subject to this constitution, have power to make laws with respect to matters relating to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice, including its composition, functions, powers and procedures. In other words, Parliament are the ones who decide how the voice will work, which is pretty much standard practice, right? The constitution is a framework, the details get filled in by the people we elect to make those decisions. And that's it. That's what we're deciding on. And just that. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. of a bigger climate change decision an Australian will ever make. It's massive. I'm going to remember this day for the rest of my life. Climate crackdown. Do you have a search warrant? Is Australia's right to protest under fire? If we don't do something, then we are criminals. The prospect of going to jail for 20 years is frightening. What happened has left me shaken, fearful and distressed. Did you cross kind of ethical lines? Four Corners, Monday, ABC TV and ABC iView. I never set foot on the property of Woodside CEO, Meg O'Neill, but was ambushed by more than a dozen counter-terror police lying in wait for me. No one was ever in any danger because of this protest, and there was no possibility of anyone entering the house of the Woodside CEO, except for the dozen counter-terror police already inside the property. WA police and the WA government are doing anything they can do to stop this campaign communicating because we're getting the message out about the Barrett Pub and we're doing a bloody good job of it. Thank you. That was the voice of Matilda Lane Rose standing outside the court in uh, WA when she was being charged with her actions of peacefully protesting uh, outside the, uh, the the house of uh, the, uh, the the CEO of Woodside, uh, who Meg O'Neill, and of course uh, what response the response from the uh, the WA police was extreme, and uh, they have uh, the the disrupt. Burrup Hub Group, who are there trying to protect uh, Australia from this uh, toxic uh, gas nightmare, which is being proposed by Woodside, are uh, being uh, given the the right royal runaround and giving the the uh, the most vicious kind of uh, uh, you know restraint on the freedom of association and speech. So, uh, I should say uh, we've got uh, got on the line uh, uh, the uh, one of the uh, campaigners from Disrupt. 
Burrup Hub, uh, which is uh, Talia Stolansky. And uh, she's going to talk us through the the background of that story and give us uh, the latest update. I should say this is all predicated by the uh, the Four Corners uh, uh, show, which is coming up on Monday, which we heard the uh, the promo for right in the lead up to that. So, Talia, thank you for joining Environmental as Anything today. Hi, Sean. How are you? Very well. And uh, you know, you're coming for, to us all the way from uh, WA. There, um, I hope the weather's treating you well. Ah, uh, yes. Beautiful here. Very warm. Oh, good. good. Very warm. Yep. A bit of a rainy day over this side of the continent. But, uh, yeah, great to have you with us. It sounds like uh, there's a huge, uh, you know, excessive response to uh, this from the uh, from the WA government. You're saying that the, uh, the WA police have served the ABC with an order to hand over all footage captured by Four Corners for an investigation set to air on Monday uh, about the crackdown on peaceful climate protest uh, by the WA government government at Woodside's behest. Uh, so it's, and it's also been feared that the ABC may even comply uh, with this order to, uh, to reveal their sources in this way. Uh, yeah, that's right, Sean. I think, um, I mean, I'm not sure about the ABC complying. Uh, I'm not, yeah, can't say where that's at at this stage. Um, as far as we're aware, they have not yet complied. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty outrageous. Yeah. Sure. What has uh, look? Maybe we should rewind slightly because we are a long way. You know, we're almost we're a continent <laughs> away from you. Almost, um, we are. Uh, you know, the the borough pub might not be uh, top of a lot mind for a lot of people over this side of the country. What yeah. is the borough pub all about? Yeah, the borough pub. I know it wouldn't be top of mind because you probably don't know much about it. But that's why we're here. I guess we're trying to get the word out because it is uh, Australia's largest new fossil fuel project. Actually, it's Australia's largest fossil fuel project ever, I think. Um, really? It's six billion tonnes of carbon, um, which, I mean, I think it's something like if the Barrett Pub was a country, it would be the sixth largest emitter of... Um, sorry, sixth largest exporter of LNG. So um, that gives you a bit of an idea of scale, I guess. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's massive. Um, it's obviously very polluting in terms of carbon emissions, but it's also destroying the world's oldest and largest collection of rock art uh, at Muradjuga. So this place where the Barrett pub sits is directly on top of um, 50,000-year-old rock art that is just dotted everywhere on this peninsula. It's really, it's amazing when you go visit it, but the fact that they've literally built an LNG plant right there on top of it and they're still continuing to... 2023 is um, is pretty disgusting and something that yeah everyone should know about. Yeah, right. Wow, and and of course, uh, so Matilda uh, got arrested. Um, I've seen a little bit of the the snippets of the footage, but it sounds like it was a, a dramatic day in the burbs. Uh, there in Perth, was it? It, it was definitely um, that morning. Was I mean for me personally, it was it was dramatic as well. The that morning, um, obviously, Matilda was met by about 12 counter-terror police um, ambushed at Meg O'Neill's property uh, right, when she was so expecting to just... go throw some paint on the fence and, and lock herself to the gate. And Right, so paint, not, she, not a hand yeah. grenade or anything like that? No, nothing just like that. Definitely no, yeah. no violence, no. Okay. 
Right, sorry, uh, sorry yeah. to interrupt. Just wanted to be absolutely clear about that. That the, the, yeah. the WA Anti Terror Police are now uh, concerning themselves with the gardening uh, uh, quality of the gardening decorations around Perth. <laughs> Correct. It's like um, someone coming. You know, if you reported some graffiti happening on your fence, and then twelve counter terror police come to protect you overnight. Um, and what were they? What were they like? The ca- sure, these counter terror police? They they immediately summon up uh, dark images of of, of, of men with uh, b- balaclavas and automatic weapons. Is that is that the kind of thing we're talking about? I, I guess that's that's probably why we use that term. I think um, they've only just recently stopped referring to themselves as counter terror police. They're now called State Security Investigations Unit. Um, but it sounds it sounds a bit more like they're just like a security team. But no, they're actually the states. Um, investigation team for, that would normally be concerned with um, sort of terrorism and things like that. Mm. So, yeah, it's um, it, I've had multiple officers from that team turn up to my house and that day, in fact, um, uh, I was raided as well. So mm. after they went in, um, after they were at Meg uh, O'Neill's property, um, a team then came to my house um, and... Uh, requested that I return home from work and let them in, um, to which I was on my way and then they ended up breaking into my house. This was the third raid I've had on my house in about three months, I think. Mm. So um, I've got two young kids. Uh, Thankfully, my kids weren't home at the time and they hadn't been in the previous two attempts as well. But, um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty, like, for Meg to be there standing there and saying that... um, she shouldn't feel threatened and, um, you know, shouldn't have people turning up to her home. It was quite, for me, that same day I was thinking, you know, oh, well, what, about, what about the, you know, the 12 counter-terror cops that turn up at my home? Right. And, um, and can, I, can I just ask, I mean, I, I don't know, I'm asking in, 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 without, without genuinely asking what was it that they were responding to? Was there some action of yours that they thought merited these three raids in three months and coming into your home and, and, and breaking in and et cetera? Uh, I guess, I mean, I've been known as being part of the campaign for a long time. Uh, well, since the start of it, pretty much. I did an action at um, Parliament where I spray-painted the Woodside logo um, onto the doors of WA Parliament. Um, and so that was back in February. And so since then, I guess they've had... There's a, there's a whole team um, that sort of keep a watch of us. And so, I mean, they know that I'm involved um, in... The campaign itself and so they try and get as many of us as they can every time there's an action um and they you know they give us these charges uh based on being co-accused so everyone can still get if even even though one person does the action then anyone that knew about it essentially they can somehow bring into those charges um and then more recently they've been trying out you know the the non-association orders um which they actually tried to put on me a day before uh matilda's arrest um me and two others um and but they the courts didn't allow it thankfully but then the next day obviously another six of them i think or four of them got put on non-association orders so um yeah it's been it's been a bit it's been quite difficult (laughs) deal with really yeah it, we're still here and we're still talking about it so good on you it, it i mean it sounds genuinely terrifying i mean they sound like terrorist police that, that are coming yeah. in and uh, using lawfare to try to suppress uh your freedom of speech and your freedom of association in standing up for a safe climate for your children 
Absolutely. And I think, you know, Disrupt Borough Pub has always been very, um, we've always been very open about the fact that we are a non-violent uh, protest group. You know, we're not, uh, we're not using any violent tactics. So for them to sort of preempt that there was going to be some sort of violent raid on, on Meg O'Neill's home is, is pretty outrageous. You know, like they, it's clearly, um, it was clearly manufactured by their press department, you know, and the, the, that day they sort of got their, they got their story out before we could obviously, because we were all either locked up or <laughs> having our homes raided. And then, you know, they took my third phone from me. So I was out of communication devices again for a third time mm. in, in three months, you know, so um, it's been quite difficult. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds very challenging. Well, as I say, look, it's good on you for persisting with, uh, you know, with this because the actual uh, project we're talking about is, uh, like, Greenpeace says it's going to release 6.1 billion tonnes of carbon over uh, uh, its uh, 12 years, like it's, which is equivalent to 12 years of Australians' emissions, I think it's saying, and mm-hmm. 54 threatened species. Dredging, drilling and seismic testing will put vulnerable marine species like whales and turtles at risk. And you say that it would be, what, the sixth biggest exporter of uh, fossil fuels in the world. Is that... Is that right? Oh, sorry, the, 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 the sixth largest exporter of LNG, LNG. Um, yep. uh, in the world. And, yeah, so that's based on its capacity. So if it was operating to its full capacity that they're, you know, they're hoping to be operating at in 20 years or whenever it, it comes about. Um, you know, and it's worth mentioning that the project will uh, go on for another... So they've just had a 50-year appro- approval done for the... Um, one part of it, and so that puts it out to 2070. So they're talking about, you know, this lev- this amount of LNG still being exported at 2070. And if you look at the data, that you know that shows that for, for that to actually be a profitable situation or scenario, I guess, um, then we would have to be in something like 3.2 degrees warming by that stage. So um, it's pretty disgusting when you look at those facts and figures that, you know, what what would start a betting on, basically? They're betting on this sort of future and at the same time they're putting their logo on my five-year-old kid at the beach. <laughs> yeah, right. There's a, the, the, the logo's going on the, the, uh, the, the your five-year-old in, on what, under what auspices? <laughs> oh, it's, it's so ridiculous. Like, it's probably the worst example of, um, of the, you know the corporate sponsorships that, that these guys try and do. So it's the, the Nippers, um, uh, WA, the West Australian Nippers. Um, I'm sure you guys have them yeah, over there. Yeah, yeah. 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 Surf yeah. life-saving so it's, it's, youngsters, We have to yeah. refer to it um, here in WA as Woodside Nippers. Oh, my uh, goodness. And the kids wear the Woodside logo. It's actually on them five times oh, per child on, you know, over 8,000 kids throughout the summer season. It's that is crazy. Sick, yeah. <laughs> that is sickening. That's really I'm I'm, I'm disgusted. Yeah, yeah, uh, and not many people. I mean, I, I'd say not many people. People do um, do reckon because I've I've been taking the logo off my child for the last few years, mm. um, and you know people do respond and do, but it's it's kind of like become the norm in in WA. Um, it's like yeah, Woodside's just everywhere, and it's been everywhere for so long. You know, mm. the last thirty years, um, my lifetime pretty much, and and. They've sort of, this has been part of their strategy to, you know, ingrain themselves in 
the whole lifestyle and culture of WA people mm. um, so that they won't oppose them and they'd be afraid to oppose them, which is kind of what I find amongst um, most people at Nickers on a Sunday is that they sort of, yeah, they'd feel a little bit intimidated to, yeah, um, yeah to, be, to, you know, fight back against them. Stand up against that. Well, it's, and, and, and so I guess, I mean, I'm guessing, I have to ask you, do, do, what? how far up the tree does this sponsorship culture go? I mean, how much money are, uh, you know, are Woodside contributing to the, uh, uh, to, you know, to, to the, is it to the ALP? Where, where, are they, where are they putting their dollars to get so much purchase with the, uh, the WA government? Well, they, um, yeah, they, I think they contribute a, almost equal amounts to the Liberal and Labor Party Oh, yeah. Um, on a, on such a big fans of democracy. Yeah. yeah, but I'm sure there's some sort of, you know, uh, Meg O'Neill was very tight with our um, previous Premier, uh, Mark McGowan, and um, there, you know, he came out and said there was a, there was a I think um, CCWA were taking our EPA to court um, over this Woodside thing, and he said, oh, if, you know, if, if the if they try and stop the project going ahead, essentially they try and stop the project going ahead, I'll I'll make sure that doesn't happen. You know, like he's going to intervene basically. Yeah. Um, if there was to be any sort of legal result, that would stop the project going ahead. So yeah, it's um, it, but they do have a very um, a very big influence um, on our government, and you know, yeah, it only the other day was when the police commissioner came out and sort of, you know, ordered the ABC hand over this footage, just sort of you know, an order that um, that he... Just one of the orders that he's given um, at Woodside's behest. Right, that's the Attorney General, did you say? Uh, so the police commissioner. The police commissioner, yeah. sorry, my mistake. Yeah. Right, okay. Mm. Okay, so the police commissioner is doing the behest of... And, and the Premier, and you guys are standing up against, uh, you know, this project, which clearly has literally no future, um, no matter how it pans out, whether they get permits or not, it's going to end up being a, a complete disaster for us all. Um, yeah. The ABC is being ordered to hand over every bit of information they can to the terrorist police and uh, and so that they can continue to terrorise you with it. What's, what's next? What's next for Disrupt Burrup Hub uh, as a group and, uh, you know, for the Burrup Hub as a, as a project? What do you reckon is going to happen and what do you want people to do? Yeah, look, I think um, we, we had a, a great win just recently. Um, Raylene Cooper, who is uh, one of the traditional custodians from Wurrajuga, um took the, not SEMA, so the um, regulatory body for um, offshore oil and gas projects. I can't remember the exact mm-hmm. name. But um, they, uh, so she took them to court and had a win and actually won. Um, so she argued that their seismic blasting, that she hadn't been consulted properly um, with regards to the seismic blasting that they were about to start. And, you know, it was going to cost them a lot of money if they couldn't. And uh, the court court agreed that they couldn't start until they'd consulted properly. So, I mean, that was a bit of a surprise, a bit of a shock, because we're not used to getting many wins um, against Woodside over here in WA. And, Mm. um, yeah, that was really great news, but that doesn't stop the project. And um, there's, yeah, there's obviously a lot more work to do. Um, For us, I think it's hard to talk about what exactly we have coming up, Um, but, the you know, 
I guess it's fair to say that we we appreciate all of the um, financial donations and, and support that we can get because um, we aren't funded uh, by anywhere <laughs> or anyone yeah. um, other than the public. So um, yeah, we've we do get a lot of donations and, and we appreciate that support definitely. So, so you don't have any multi-billion-dollar earth-raping corporations lining up to uh, to fund your operations then. No, unfortunately not. Um, no, we've been lucky to have some, you know, legal help uh, from some very generous lawyers. Uh, but you know, that the fact that they have us in the court so often, and you know, there's there's so much um, there's so much going on in in that regard that we you know we're, we're constantly going to court and um, many times over these things. And yeah, I guess that's. That gets expensive too, so mm. <laughs> not even including the fines, but yeah. It does seem like an extreme overreach on Woodside's part, especially when, you know, you guys have been going and spraying their logo on things. They seem to be pretty keen on their logo being sprayed on things, but suddenly they, they, they turn all, 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 uh, all coy about it. That's right, and that's sort of the example I was trying to set at government um, at Parliament House in WA was, yeah, uh, you know, they, they're happy to throw their logo on our kids. Um, why aren't, you know, why don't, why doesn't the government have their logo all over them? Because we know that they're paying them, um, you know, they're paying them large sums of money <laughs> to be able to sort of run, run the show in WA. Yep. And, uh, of course, our very own Violet Coco, who has been based here in Lismore for some time, uh, had, was was one of those people, first person jailed under these repressive new police powers legislation, yeah. sprayed the wood tie, Woodside logo and yellow paint on the front of the Perth Police Centre. So, that was amazing, actually, yeah. <laughs> we were... Um, that was actually... I So myself and um, another campaigner had been arrested overnight and we had, were detained overnight in custody um, my first night in a, in a, in a cell. Um, and uh, two days later, she went in and spray-painted that at the, at the same place where I was held overnight. Good on her, eh? Quite, um, quite, felt quite nice, yeah. So we're all going to keep our eyes open for the, uh, the ABC report on Four Corners. Do you have any feeling about yeah. what, how, how that's likely to turn out in terms of telling the story? Do you have, have any pr- uh, you know, uh, thoughts about that? So I think um, Four Corners is very well known for being very um, you know, unbiased in their right. reporting. And if that's the case, then it, it should just be the facts um, mm. which, you know, and if you are just reporting the facts, then it's, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to paint a picture that isn't, um, favorable for us, you know, like the, the actual, the corrupt, um, nature of Woodside and our government, um, working with police and all of that is, it, it, yeah, it, it's, it's, it tells its own story. And I think, yeah, all you have to do is report the facts mm. to, um, to see that. So, yeah, we're expecting it to be you know, pretty positive. I'm sure we'll end up looking like absolute idiots um, in parts of it, but that's all right. We don't care if we look like idiots. We just want people to to see Woodside for what they what they're actually doing. Mm, yeah. Well, look, your your your, your courage and your self sacrifice are, are, are duly noted and respected here. So, thank you for sharing your story with us here in the Northern Rivers uh, today. And um, well, I hope you'll keep me posted. You've got our email. I've put put up on our yeah. on the environmental as anything Facebook page uh, a link to some of your 
your materials and um, awesome. um, we'll we'll just yeah we'll keep keep uh, keep us posted hey yeah for sure thanks so much Sean it was great having a chat yeah no it's terrific so thanks for getting us up to speed and good luck strength to your arm oh thanks see ya <laughs> no worries Talia that was. Talia Stolansky from uh, Disrupt Burrup Hub talking about the, uh, the, the egregious restraint on freedom of association and speech that's being, uh, being sponsored by Woodside uh, over there as they uh, attempt to build one of the world's uh, worst carbon bombs uh, to uh, pump billions of tonnes of deadly carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and destroy traditional uh, sacred sites uh, and, uh, and generally disgrace themselves publicly whilst uh, calling on the state government to protect them from, uh, from this, uh, this outrageous community that objects to their obscene actions. Anyway, thanks to her and uh, all of those over there who are working so hard to uh, stand up for our climate and ecologies and cultures. Bloody testing one, two, three. My name is Michael Caton. Hi, I'm Carly Kwong. My name is Asma. I'm Jeffrey Cammons, Rabbi in Emmanuel Synagogue. I'm Sophia. Thomas Mayo. My name is Liber. My name is Shen Jia. I'm voting yes because... It's just a simple request. It's a step in the right direction. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I don't think you can be heard unless you're given a voice. No keeps us stuck. I want to make my kids and my grandkids proud. I think there's a lot of false information going around right now. The idea of the voice is nothing for any of us to be scared of in any way. The way I understand it is it's just an advisory body. Their advice is non-binding. The parliament simply has to listen and make better policies. We're just asking to have a say in the decisions that affect us. It's a simple fact that 80% of Indigenous people support this. 80%? 80%. 80%. We should listen to them. The Uluru Statement from the Heart was written by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and it presents an invitation to the rest of us. Come with us. Walk with us. I saw a really great line today. If in doubt, find out. There's nothing to lose and everything to gain. I'm voting yes. I am definitely voting yes. Vote tayo nang yes. I'm voting yes. Ani Matsbia Ken. Yes. Yes. Yama. I'm supporting the yes vote. Just embrace it. It's so simple. Just say yes. Yes. Authorised by Dean Parkin. Australians for Indigenous Constitutional Recognition Limited, North Sydney. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, that's uh, the the poem that we were talking about earlier. But um, the freedom to speech, this freedom to be heard, they are essential to uh, to the maintenance of our democracy. And uh, of course, one of those most high profile uh, victims of the suppression of their freedom of speech has been uh, Julian Assange. Now, this is uh, uh, a local boy. Oz, uh, he, he spent time in his childhood here in Lismore and, uh, in, uh, you know, obviously uh, brought up in Australia, but uh, up till very recently has had good reason to feel as though he was abandoned by 
Australia and uh, left to what has ended up being almost over a decade now of confinement of various forms. Uh, just in the last couple of weeks, there have been some glimmers of hope showing up for Julian uh, with uh, more than 60 Australian MPs urging the US to let the WikiLeaks founder walk free and a, a cross-party delegation are going to Washington to push for, the, his, for Julian's freedom. Uh, that uh, that delegation included uh, Barnab- Barnaby Joyce, uh, Labor MPs, Liberal Senator, uh, Independent MP Monique Ryan and Green Senators David Shoebridge and Peter Wish-Wilson. And uh, so it's looking like Australia's bid for Julian Assange's freedom presents a formidable problem for the uh, Joe Biden administration, according to the conversation. And I have on the line very uh, much, very feel very honoured and privileged to have on the line Julian's dad, John Shipton, who has been one of the leading advocates for his freedom and is going to be visiting us here in Lismore soon. John, thank you for joining Environmental as Anything today. Thanks very much for inviting. No, you. you. It's good to hear your voice. And uh, so you uh, have been involved in all of this uh, for for some time now. Um, how do you feel about those developments? I was just listening. Oh, they're, they're, look, they're heartening and terrific, uh, particularly in this fraught times of. Uh, Australians, uh, 88% of us saying, you know, putting their foot down, saying we want Julian uh, brought home and uh, sort of establishing a voice uh, for Australia distinct uh, from the United States and uh, its uh, focus, you know, the focus of the United States. We uh, showing a bit of spirit and independence. It's, it's just terrific to see. It is terrific to see, and uh, you know, spirit and independence; uh, those are the things that uh, most Aussies think are part, written into the hardwired into the uh, the national character. Your boy uh, has certainly exhibited a great deal of spirited independence. Uh, what what do you think led Julian to become such a fearless uh, advocate for uh, f- you know freedom of speech, uh, peace, and justice? I can't put my, you know, finger on just one element. Um, It seems to be, you you know, a a combination of things. But essentially, from my point of view, it's uh, uh, an understanding of the benefits of uh, speaking truthfully um, to uh, oneself, uh, to one's family, to one's nation and to the government for the formation of policy. Mm. So uh, my feeling is uh, that the genius of a nation extends from its people and uh, without uh, clear and factual information to build a body of knowledge, the genius of the people is constrained and will turn to frustration and uh, sometimes apathy. So, uh, in essence, I, from the outside, looking from the outside, uh, that's the uh, understanding I have of Julian's uh, efforts. Mm, mm. Do you get a chance to speak to him? I mean, where, where he is now, he's in Belmarsh Prison, is my understanding. Do you ever get a chance to actually speak directly to him? 
Yeah, yeah. So he's allowed uh, when he's <laughs> has the credit uh, uh, a 10-minute phone call to uh, people outside the United Kingdom or myself, family. Mm. Um, and uh, I was there uh, just two weeks ago uh, and spent a, an hour uh, and a half with Julian uh, and Stella together in the in the uh, Belmarsh Maximum Security Prison. I think a couple of days after we visited Julian, uh, Stella went uh, with uh, Roger Woodward and Yanis Varoufakis. Mm. Um, uh, Roger and uh, Yanis have been uh, amazingly powerful uh, supporters, particularly Roger, mm. who's you know a world-renowned musician of uh, considerable depths of humane feelings. Mm. Well, that's good to, to hear he's getting um, that kind of support. How about uh, when you're go- touring the country at, at the moment? I mean, did, I, I, did you, you went over to the US with that delegation, didn't you? You just come back from that, there? That was, that was Gabrielle. Ah. But, uh, so Gabrielle and, and I, Gabrielle's been to the United States eight times mm. since uh, 2022. Um, and... Uh, I've been six times, mm. um, and I go again on the 29th of, uh, 28th of October. So the, the support is there amongst, uh, uh, you know, political class, but principally amongst the people. Um, they, I find, speaking to, to you know, we did uh, eight, so far, 75 events across the United States, 60 in one go and 16 in another. Mm. Um, in 42 cities in the 60 events and 16 cities in the 16 events. Um, right. They treasure their First Amendment and their Bill of Rights. So to, to give some feeling of it, they sort of breathe it in and out uh, with the sustaining oxygen of life, you know, that's their feeling about it. And mentioning Julian and the Bill of Rights and the First Amendment in the same uh, conversation arouses their in- enthusiastic support. Um, it's not quite uh, the same depth of feeling as the Australians. Have they have their own particular concerns, whereas we have one big concern, and that's to save uh, the sun of our soil. Mm-hmm. And so, it, it, all of this uh, has been been able to to happen. This recent uh, uh, sort of outburst of uh, of support from the federal parliamentarians it's uh, it's reported in the in the conversation that it's been uh, that the trip was privately financed by the, the Assange campaign <coughs> through having crowdfunded for that uh, for that to be happening so I guess having that uh, that that wave of support here in Australia uh, just makes uh, so much more possible how's how's that been going in your tour here of Australia oh well <laughs> I've been like touring the East Coast now for five years, mm. up and down, with a group of supporters having meetings. I mean, the, it's the support, like it's, you've got to say, it's magnificent, and it's, uh, it just uh, simply it doesn't fade away. Mm. Um, uh, I've experienced that over five years. I can verify that the 
essential character of Australians is a, a revulsion at the sight of injustice and a, and a yearning for injustice. That's my personal experience. Mm. And uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, I've also travelled to 50 countries around the world and experienced similar things, but not with the same intensity of concern as the Aussies display. Uh, also, you know, it costs a lot of money to send a delegation over, but that was paid for by a crowdfunder by Australians mm. uh, chipping in, you know, $10 or 50 whatever they could afford. So this it goes to demonstrate that people are serious, mm-hmm. you know, whether they part with their to get something up and running. They're serious. Mm. So you've got, um, you know, Australia's ambassador, uh, Kevin Rudd, uh, busy arranging appointments. Uh, you've got uh, the, the non-government organisations, uh, including the American Civil Liberties Union, Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, etc., and uh, Reporters Without Borders, uh, you know, the Committee to Protect Journalists. And so you so a, a strengthening uh, a band behind the movement. And, and here, you, here you are coming to Lismore, little old Lismore, which uh, long-suffering. And, and When you're rattling off those names, there's 24 of the great civil society institutions in the United States, including all of those that you've just mentioned, wrote... Uh, as a single group, uh, signed a letter to uh, the uh, Attorney General, uh, um, Mary Garland, uh, asking that the charges be dropped. And the support, once you start looking at the support, it it just expands and expands. All the original partners, Le Monde, uh, El Pay, The Guardian, the New York Times, and they all, uh, and the Spiegel, the German newspaper, mm. they all signed a letter uh, again in November last year uh, urging uh, the charges against Julian Assange be dropped. Uh, every single parliament, with the exception of Sweden, in uh, the European theatre has an Assange group. Some of them, like the Greek parliament, the Assange group had 90 members. Mm. That's in a parliament of 300. Uh, Australia has got uh, about 64, but uh, outside of those that were willing to sign, there are others that uh, have uh, make silent support. So uh, we estimated 45% of the Australian parliamentary body uh, support the return of Julian home to his country. Mm. These are important things, and it demonstrates to all of us that the citizenry can amalgamate uh, on both sides of the aisle matters of deep concern. So, for example, environment or in, in the case of the yes or no voice and so on. All of those things that uh, we can gather together under an umbrella and insist that the executive uh, takes the instruction of Parliament and, uh, and enacts. You know, that's what the executive 
is for them. Yes. Sometimes I think they get over-enthusiastic about having the services of a white car to go around him uh, and forget that they're a servant of Parliament and Parliament represents us. Mm. We keep on insisting that uh, that's the best way to govern because mm. it gives us a bit of a chance to, uh, uh, how do I say, unfold the genius of the people and insist that it be embraced in policy. Yes, and that's the uh, that's the, the the great achievement that you're looking for, isn't it? To to have this uh, enfolded in the policy uh, framework, and uh, that's the, the for one thing to have the Australian government on board, which seems to be uh, increasingly uh, seems to be the case. But uh, there is a great deal of uh, pushback from the US end, isn't there? Uh, the there's there's complications in the uh, with this being a US electoral year with the presidential election coming up and where this may not be top of mind for them and indeed may uh, actually play against uh, Julian? Well, I don't know. You know, they seem to have a lot of headaches hmm. uh, and many interests to administer. I, and, uh, just uh, if the White House asked the uh, Department of Justice to review the charges against Julian as being espionage charges uh, uh, embarrassing the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States, and the charges were uh, allayed and Julian returned home, there'd be one less headache for mm. them. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then particularly in an in election year, they have uh, uh, our delegation and another delegation comes from France and another mm. one mm. may come from South America, the uh, president of uh, Brazil, the president of Mexico, the president of Bolivia, the president of Colombia, mm. the president of Argentina, the president of Chile, all of them, I mean, are making uh, more difficulties for the administration by uh, advocating that Julian Assange be returned to his family and his country. Mm. Mm. It's, a, it's a, not a, a, you know, a relief. So re, sending Julian home is a relief of considerable burdens and an embrace, would embrace popularity. Mm. Mm. I, I can't see... Um, any service to the administration of the United States and its soft power in continuing the persecution of Julian Assange. For me, uh, it's what we used to call a no-brainer in the old days. But, uh, no, what we used to call it's the odds to nothing. Mm. Now it's called a no-brainer. Yeah. Yes, and it is. It does seem to to defy all sense and reason to continue with this vendetta against uh, you know the truth uh, from from you know a decade ago uh, or more. Uh, so more than a decade ago now, of course. But the um, 
So, the good news for us is, as I say, you are coming to Lismore uh, with David McBride uh, to, uh, to promote uh, the, the, the cause of, uh, of Julian and of, and of freedom of speech in general. Um, you, you and David are coming to Lismore on the 12th of October, I understand, and you're going to be appearing at the Star Court Theatre. Yes, and, uh, you know, an old uh, civil rights warrior like myself and a, a young, vigorous whistleblower and ex-major of the army like David, you know, we we still uh, can gather a bit of uh, punch together and uh, put our arguments in a... In entertaining and forceful manner. <laughs> well, I'm sure that, that yeah, Lismore likes those things, entertaining <laughs> and forceful, uh, you know, <laughs> discussion. Uh, and uh, so there'll be two films on the night, I understand, and which one is the uh, Declassified, which is, uh, uh, which is about the Australian government plan to imprison the Afghan whistleblower, McBride, for life, and his trial is due to start on the 13th of November, so that's quite urgent. And, uh, you know, he actually has exhausted at all international avenues with hopes of an investigation uh, and he's, uh, he's been met with arrests uh, uh, stimulating these famous raids on the ABC. So he's, he's really set the cat amongst the pigeons, as, as has Julian. And, of course, and then they're also playing the incident in New Baghdad, which is uh, the, the, the WikiLeaks' most notorious publication on the Iraq war, uh, showing the US Army uh, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the war crimes and the uh, slaying of two Reuters journalists. So that's the compelling films. And then both you and David will be speaking on the night, I understand, as you say, with the, yes. with the forthright and uh, entertaining discussion. Yes, and they can ask us any question, uh, uh, even the difficult questions, uh, you know, test you out a bit. That's a good thing. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, John, look, I appreciate you coming on, on to Environmental as anything to uh, share that with us. I hope you'll keep us posted uh, as to the progress for the campaign and uh, keep come back and let us know what's, uh, when, when you've got uh, updates. Uh, delighted. Thanks. Thanks for being so patient. No, no, good luck with it. I'm glad you got over your footy fever. That was a great relief to hear you'd survive that. <laughs> Melbourne, they, they just love their football. Yeah. So you're, you're a Pies supporter? Uh, I, I like the Maggies, the black and white. Yeah, you know, yeah. I used to live over there, so, uh, yeah, I, I like them. <laughs> good on you, good on you. Well, we had a good day on the day, so it was, it was yeah, good for... Yeah, we're, we're, we just managed... Uh, would have been terrible, shameful to see the, 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 the trophy going north to Brisbane. <laughs> <laughs> I must, I must admit, admit, confess to some, some, some mixed uh, feelings since we're so close to Brisbane, but, uh, you know... Uh, <laughs> There'll be a few Brisbane supporters who, who might not agree with you, but that's okay. Everybody, uh, it's all fair in love and football, isn't it? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> all right, John. Well, you, good luck with everything, and I'll see you when you get here to Lismore. Thank you, and see you. See you then. That uh, was John Shipton, who is the uh, one of the, the key advocates for Julian Assange and, of course, his dear old dad, his father. Uh, going around the world endlessly, it seems, tirelessly going from city to city and uh, speaking to everybody about uh, the essential nature of uh, freedom of speech uh, for our democracy and for our civilization. 
So uh, he'll be coming to Lismore on the 12th of October. That's uh, next Thursday. And uh, adverti- to, to, for a screening at the Star Court Theatre. Start time at 6.30pm. And, uh, yeah, come along. Come along, join it in. It'll be fascinating with both uh, David McBride, who was on the show uh, only two weeks ago, uh, talking about his, uh, his whistleblower experiences and his, the threat to his freedom as a result. And also, of course, John talking about Julian and, uh, and the, the showing this film, the, the incident in New Baghdad, um, uh, which is all about that, uh, uh, that fateful day when, uh, when those Reuters journalists uh, were murdered. Uh, in the streets of Baghdad by American attack helicopters in 2007 and the WikiLeaks efforts to share that with the world, which have led to uh, Julian Assange being locked up for a decade without uh, conviction or trial, indeed, since. So, uh, yeah, come along. Uluru's statement from the heart. We gathered here at the 2017 National Constitutional Convention, coming from all points of the southern sky, make this statement from the heart. Our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes were the first sovereign nations of the Australian continent and its adjacent islands and possessed it under our own laws and customs. This our ancestors did, according to the reckoning of our culture from the creation, according to the common law from time immemorial, and according to science more than 60,000 years ago. This sovereignty is a spiritual notion. The ancestral tie between the land or mother nature and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who were born therefrom, remain attached thereto, and must one day return thither to be united with our ancestors. This link is the basis of the ownership of the soil, or better, of sovereignty. It has never been ceded or extinguished, and coexists with the sovereignty of the Crown. How could it be otherwise? that peoples possessed a land for 60 millennia and this sacred link disappears from world history in merely the last 200 years? With substantive constitutional change and structural reform, we believe this ancient sovereignty can shine through as a fuller expression of Australia's nationhood. Proportionally, we are the most incarcerated people on the planet. We are not an innately criminal people. Our children are aliened from their families at unprecedented rates. This cannot be because we have no love for them. And our youth languish in detention in obscene numbers. They should be our hope for the future. These dimensions of our crisis tell plainly plainly the structural nature of our problem. This 
is the torment of our powerlessness. We seek constitutional reforms to empower our people and take a rightful place in our own country. When we have power over our destiny, our children will flourish. They will walk in two worlds and their culture will be a gift to their country. We call for the establishment of a First Nations voice enshrined in the Constitution. Makarata is the culmination of our agenda, the coming together after a struggle. It captures our aspirations for a fair and truthful relationship with the people of Australia and a better future for our children based on justice and self-determination. We seek a Makarata Commission to, to supervise a process of agreement making between governments and First Nations and truth-telling about our history. In 1967, we were counted. In 2017, we seek to be heard. We leave base camp and start our trek across this vast country. And we invite you to walk with us in a movement of the Australian people for a better future. Yes, and that is the applause that you hear from uh, Megan Davis reading the Uluru Statement from the Heart. Uh, much maligned by racists who wish to uh, live in, prefer cowardice uh, to, uh, to courage, who, uh, who prefer fear to hope. And uh, we are in a, in a moment in Australia where we can choose a future where we have a nation based in the legitimate sovereignty of 65,000 years of continuous occupation, where we walk hand in hand and beside those uh, people who have lived here for all of that time, or we can choose to turn away from that opportunity and to squander it uh, and to instead to embrace uh, delusions and lies. So uh, please... Vote yes. If you don't know, then find out. If you, if you, if you, and uh, and vote yes for uh, for a better future for this country for all of our people here. Anyway, it's uh, this week. It'll be done. Anyway, another thing that's done is me for the day here on Environmental as Anything. I'm Sean O'Shaughnessy. I thank you for being uh, with me today. Uh, appreciate your company. And um, I hope that until we meet again, you are gentle with yourself, kind to each other, and remember that we are all in this together.